kill me! Don't kill me, man! I'm not going to kill you. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to tell all your friends about me. What are you? I'm Batman. So I was, you know, I was a kid in the in the eighties. I collected my baseball cards, and obviously, I collected comic books. And I had the Supermans and the X Men's and the Daredevils. But in the mid eighties, you had these things coming up called the graphic novel. And I'm not gonna explain what a graphic novel is. Most of our listeners do. But you had this guy called Frank Miller, who kind of put this on the map, the graphic novel. With a little one called The Dark Knight. Uh, follow along was guys like uh, oh, The Watchman. Who's The Watchman guy again? Alan Moore. Well, that was the 80s, I believe. Yeah. Neil Gaiman, um, the Sandman. Neil Gaiman. Yeah, these handful of, of almost took comic books. They, they did, they did. They took comics to a darker level. Mm-hmm. Uh, a more adult level. Yes. I must admit that I, I have never been big into superhero comic books. Um, I've liked some superhero, you know, films uh, uh, as a kid and stuff, and even as an adult, uh, but I was never big, ever big into superhero comic books. The comics I did read as a, as a much younger kid were the likes of the Beano and the Dandy. <laughs> You know, like Dennis and Menace and the Bice and the Bice Street kids and all that. I you know what? You can sit there and use your age all you want. What kid is reading this crap? Like every fucking kid in the UK at the time. There's no different time. This is the eighties. Uh, yeah, no, but in the UK, you have to remember in the UK, yeah, the Beano and the Dandy and all these you know comics <laughs> were hugely popular. They were okay. massively popular. <laughs> Now, now, now they were for kids, and they were a bit sort of, you know, silly and stuff, um, obviously. And you know, Dennis the Menace, and and um, you know, the Bay Street Kids and stuff. Um, Desperate Dan with his cow pies. But I, so, the, if I had, you know, I was more into horror, even and science, you know, science fiction, as opposed to superheroes as a kid. But if I, if, but if I had to, you know, say which comics I did read as a much younger kid, I would have read the Beano and the Dandy. Beano and Dandy. Beano and Dandy sounds like a fucking coffee chain. <laughs> yeah. Um. But the re- the purpose for bringing this up is, oh hi everybody. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> welcome, welcome to Citizen Frame. I'm Kira, the host, and that's the usual co-host there, Trevor. How's it going, man? Yeah, all good, Kieran. Harsh things for yourself. Uh, you know. Not reading Beano and the Dandy, so things <laughs> so are going pretty good. Um, well, the reason we bring up these graphic novels, the first one of these attempts to put these on the map as a motion picture is the movie we're talking about today, 1989's Batman. Well, yeah, I mean, there was you know comic book adaptations beforehand, but this was the first time they really took a darker, more serious edge. Yeah, like I mentioned, this is based on the graphic novels, mm-hmm. um, not the comic itself. Because you're right, because the old Batman was kapow and yeah. kaplang. And <laughs> well, there was even Which, ones in the 30s and 40s and stuff, you know, versions of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and Superman. Well, yeah, they both kind of follow the same mm-hmm. the same trope, the same trope um, as most comics do. But the comic books... We're still okay in the eighties. I mean, I, I they still have a fond following. They kind of uh, uh, died down a bit in the nineties. It was I, I, when when Superman. I remember seeing Superman in the theater in seventy eight, seventy nine. Mm-hmm. What a, what an experience that was! 
I didn't see it in the theatre, but I remember as a small kid watching it on TV. Yeah, and then seeing it, uh, seeing then seeing Superman two, which was even yeah. better. And three, I, I mean, I know it's um, been much criticised over the years, but as a kid, I absolutely loved Superman three. Um, you know the one with Richard Pryor. Yeah, yeah, that, that was bad. I, I, I would, I would probably agree with that as what well, if I rewatched it as an adult. But as a kid, well, I, I thought it was brilliant. I think it was the same writer of uh, Bino and Dandy. <laughs> <laughs> I got you there. Yeah. But, um, so I would like it then. <laughs> <laughs> and then he had other comic book movies in the 80s, you know, Howard the Duck, which failed. Yes. And I remember watching um, that on video. Yeah. I had Leah Thompson, though. Yes. Mm, love yeah. her. Yeah. Isn't there a really weird, like, sort of um, sex scene between her and Howard the Duck? It's basically, yeah. It's basically bestiality, you know? <laughs> it's disturbing. Yeah. It's disturbing. But, man, I wanted to be a duck so bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's. Yeah. But anyways, <laughs> point being... Moving is, swiftly on. <laughs> the comic book movies that we were given were pretty much friend, you know, family-friendly. Yes. Um, and with the graphic novel came out, then we introduced the new Batman, which is a lot darker take than our average Superman or Wonder Woman. And the Witch, Buck Rogers, Lone Ranger, all these superhero-esque characters that we, we, we grew up watching. And it was supposed to go to Richard Donner, who was a perfect choice because obviously he did Superman successfully, and bring on board his buddy from Lethal Weapon, Mel Gibson. Yes. Now I like that. I don't uh, think Mel. I, I mean, I, I like. I think Mel Gibson's great, and I love his films and stuff. But I don't think he would have made a good Batman. Well, let's talk about it now. They hired a comedian to do it. Yeah. Um, as a lot of people don't know, I don't think Michael Keaton who did stand up. Yes. And he was very good at it. You guys should check out his stuff on YouTube. Brilliant comedy actor as well. Yeah, and we know him probably from the classic Beetlejuice, mm-hmm. Mr. Mom, Gung Ho, but it was a little film he did that didn't get a mass audience called Clean and Sober. He's very good in Jackie Brown as well, Quentin Tarantino's Jackie Brown. Yeah, but that was years later. Mm-hmm. We're talking before Batman. Yeah. What are you, Quantum Leaping Me here, man? <laughs> yes, and, and the hologram. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which, by the way, the re- rebooting. Yeah, I heard that. Uh, they better be good. They better bring back Scott Bakula. Oh, I'll be pissed. Yeah, I would like to see him return to the role if they do have to bring it back. Well, so uh, back to... <laughs> we went all over the place there. <laughs> but yeah, Tim Burton um, decided to do it. Tim Burton, I thought, was a wise choice because he's very artistic. Yes. He's a visionary. He has the sensibilities for it. Yeah, I mean, if you see, he used to be a, a graphic artist for uh, Disney. Yeah, an animator, yeah. An animator. And so... Not a bad choice, believe it or not. I know it's an odd choice back in the eighties because people didn't really know him, mm-hmm. besides from the, his his uh, mass outings with uh, you know his over the top zaniness, I guess you can call yeah, it, and the- with uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure and with obviously Beetlejuice. Mm-hmm. But it was the chemistry between him and Burton that pretty much landed uh, Keaton the role and Keaton's performance in a movie called Clean and Sober, which I just mentioned. Yes, incredible performance. Michael Keaton's tour de force. With Morgan Freeman, you guys should check it out, Clean and Sober. It's a downer of a film, but it's it's nice to see a film like that have an actor um, of Michael Keaton being allowed to show his range. I know of it, but I haven't actually seen it. Oh, I, I've only, I've revisited it a few times. It's just a stellar, stellar film. But he got the role, um, and the big one was Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson, they wanted him right away. No, hold, I mean, it's pretty much... Jackie, it's pretty much Jack Torrance from The Shining. Yes. But what better way to 
uh, play the Riddler, then Jack have Jack Nicholson do the role. Mm-hmm. The Joker, you mean? It, what did I put? The Riddler? Yeah, I think you said the, I think you said the Riddler. I did say the Riddler. You know why I said that? Because mm-hmm. Robin Williams <laughs> yeah. was originally was hired to do the Joker. Mm-hmm. At the time, Robin Williams was getting all these Oscars from, well, getting Oscar nods from, uh, I can't remember, Dead Poet Society came out around this time, but yeah. it was Good Morning Vietnam. Was a big one for him. He was used to so, it. Yeah, because what happens is when they when he got when he when he signed on, mm-hmm. Nicholson goes, "Oh, if he's an Oscar nominated actor, he's taking this seriously. I could do it." Yes. So yeah, they used him as bait, and and that's why Robin Williams cut ties with Warner Brothers because the way they kind of played him. Well, they later apparently offered him the role of the Riddler in that's Batman Forever, thinking. and he, um, he rejected it because he said the only way he would work with Warner Brothers again apparently. As if he was given a written apology or something yeah. to that effect. That's all he wanted. Something simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, don't know if he ever got it. Can't remember if he ever worked with Warner Brothers again. Don't know. But there you go. Mm-hmm. So we got Batman 89. Let's just start off with the opening sequence. I love the opening credits with just, you know, the camera panning around. And obviously the Bat logo. Great score and, by Danny Elfman. Yep. Danny Elfman we know from, other, obviously, Oingo Boingo at this time. Mm-hmm. Then he did, obviously, Tim Burton's uh, films that we just uh, mentioned. But it was very, like, again, his scores were very zany and, and oddballish. He did the score for The Simpsons as well? Yeah, but so was The Simpsons, the very oddball yes. kind of. This was his first dramatic score. And I'll tell you what, he nails down out of the park. I love Danny Elfman, period. I find his score, too. I just realized it on um, rewatching. Um, the 89 Batman for this podcast, but his score for this film, I think, um, heavily influenced the later Silence of the Lambs opening theme. Oh, I can't remember the Silence of the Lambs yeah. theme at all. Yeah, I think there's, there's I definitely... thought you were going to say David Lynch, I was about to kill you. <laughs> I'll come into that. No, I'm only joking. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. I have no David Lynch references to make in this podcast, apart from this one now. <laughs> you know, no, no. <laughs> Uh, no Doctor Who ones. Well, actually, I fucking do have no, actually some Doctor Who ones. No, yeah. oh, we'll come to them later. Oh, my we'll come God. to Michael Goff and oh, <laughs> Pat Hengel well, Michael later. Michael Goff was in everything in the 60s. Yeah, okay, no, he was in. I mean, he's one of those stalwart, you know, British, um, you know, sort of character actors that was pretty much in everything. But yeah, Michael Goff, who obviously plays Alfred in these, um, you know, Burton films, he played the Celestial Toymaker. In one, it's a very iconic sort of character and um, story during the William Hartnell first Doctor era, you know, in the, in the 1960s. Uh, well, there you go. You'll sleep better okay, tonight knowing that, Kieran. Oh, my God. Yeah, our whole, between that and Beano Danny, whatever the hell the <laughs> fucking thing is called, and yeah. whatever episode you just talked about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I believe Pat Hengel may have um, been, you know, in Doctor Who as well over the years. I would have to double-check that. I don't think, I think you're wrong about Pat Hengel, because Pat Hengel is one of my favorite character actors mm-hmm. who plays Commissioner Gordon. Yes. He's not English. Right, I will have to double-check that. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll take your word you know, for it. So. Yeah. But, I, either way, they're nice to see in this film. Well, let's, let's, let's jump right into it then. Listen, mm-hmm. we talked about how we like Danny Elfman's music. Let's talk about the opposite side of it, the soundtrack. The soundtrack, the, uh, we talked about the score. We like Danny. That's cool. But then we got the soundtrack, which is Prince. Yes. Now, Prince was a get. Don't get me wrong. Um, I have nothing against the songs, but they should not have been in this film whatsoever. I, I have a weird relationship with that soundtrack. At the time, 
I sort of bought into the whole hype of the whole Batman thing. I had Batman t-shirts, the whole shebang. I remember going to see this, you know, when it first was first released in the cinemas with my best mate Jonathan McCubrey. But I also had the soundtrack, and I did, and I wasn't even a Prince fan at this point, but I did like the soundtrack. However, I would I pretty much agree with you after watching it, you know, recently for the podcast that it is it doesn't really fit. Exactly, it did back then. You're right. I kind of we kind of like the MTV generation, so you kind of yeah. enjoyed it. And I think what they were trying to do is what Queen did for mm-hmm. Highlander. But as you you were on that podcast, yes. I hated that. I think it was a distraction mm-hmm. to have their music in it, and I think it ruined the scenes when the score when the when the soundtrack kicked in. Yeah, not to take the guys. This is nothing against Prince. This is nothing against Queen. They're, they're, they should have been albums. Music inspired mm-hmm. by the movie and then released separately. But to put them in the film, I think it just is, becomes a distraction. Well, I, I mean, as we discussed in, in the Highlander podcast, I, I, I think the Queen one complements Highlander very well. But it is a bit of a sort of almost, it's almost like a, a rock video. You know, no surprise given the, the director. However, I agree with you um, with it here for, you know, um, Batman. Yeah. I, I just think it was it's a bit, it's a bit too different for, from... The actual, you know, what Tim Burton's doing. Yeah, it was like he was trying to pepper in his own zaniness, like we talked about with uh, Beetlejuice and with uh, mm-hmm. uh, Pee Wee's Herman. Yeah. But it doesn't work in a Dark Knight film. You can't tell, you can't it's have too one funky. Of the, yeah, you can't have, you can't have both. Yeah. You can have a little humor, which obviously Jack will bring, but it gets to the point where, no, this is too much. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about To, to be fair, though, unlike um, the Highlander soundtrack, the Prince one, it's not overbearing. You know, there's not too much of it. True. That is true. It's usually in the background somewhere yes. hiding. It does ruin uh, Party Man's on when he tries, when Jack... That's about the, the only music. real one that, 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 that you hear properly, apart from Bat yeah. Dance at the very end credits. Yeah, and 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 that's... But again, when it is used, it's, it, doesn't, it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. But anyways... Let's talk about set design before we start getting into uh, the characters and so forth. The set design is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of miniatures. I'm a big fan of Matt. Yes, so am I. God, it's just gorgeous. Yeah. Even by today's standards. So gothic, you know. Yeah, it just works on so many levels. And they mix it well. It's blended mm-hmm. well. Yes. I don't think... To, um, well, it has a, a very sort of pulp-esque, um, noir-esque 1930s feel about it and I go that's you know the costume design as well you know and the, the sort of car- especially at the start you know and the you know the dress of the sort of you know Jack Nicholson's men you know um, you know with their hats and stuff they're basically running around like Al Capone type gangsters yeah it's got that yeah that 50, 40s 50s yeah noir to it. I mean you had uh, Knox the reporter yes. the Zany reporter you have the femme fatale Kim Basinger Vicky Vale mm-hmm you had what was the guy's Eckhart. name? Eckhart. I, who has I that love deep Eckhart. Voice. Yeah, it had that uh, top of the world to you, uh, James Cagney. Yeah, a sort of wire, of, or sorry, noir sort of pulp feel to it. Yes, it definitely did have that, and but I think that works. It definitely works for Gotham City. Yeah, it's it's. I just it just it, it because I think it it takes the film and what it does. I think it pays homage to Bob Kane and I the would, other, and the creators of yes. Batman. Because that's when Batman was created was back in this time era. Yes, exactly. So they exactly. so they kind of held true to that, which I kind of you know respect that they kind of kept old school, with new school. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
Now we just talked about Robert Wool, who plays Knox, and we just talked about Vicky Vale. Holy crap! You should have written these two out. What were they doing? I quite in this like film? Knox the character. He's that wisecracking sort of um, you know journalist oh, that you would have got in those old Jesus. sort of films. Yeah, I However, know. He's Kim he's the Jimmy Olsen. Kim he's the Jimmy Olsen. Oh, it's bad. What? I mean, there was. Here's the problem with the film. Mm-hmm. They're trying to. Te- we, uh, they're they're trying to do the love interest. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't work for a Batman film. Feels a bit tagged on. Yes, and the problem I had with it was Batman is a recluse. Mm-hmm. He has to be for obvious reasons. He is this this happened way too easy. Now if they were planning a trilogy, and she was going to be part of this trilogy, they could have built okay, it up over maybe, a couple of films. Yeah, it could have been drawn out. But this this whole relationship doesn't work, and there's no way that Alfred, who goes, oh by the way, he's Batman. If I was, if I, if he's very fucking, rushed as well. The whole thing. Yeah, if I was Bruce Wayne and Alfred brought her Vicky Bell in my Batcave and goes, oh by the way, he's Batman. I would have fucking fired him yeah, in two I'd seconds. Have arse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, put a batarang up his ass. And, Told him to fuck you know, off. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Fuck yeah. off. Yeah. And so I just felt, yeah, I just felt the whole the relationship part was rushed mm-hmm. and, and compacted and so it just didn't it was almost as if it was like you know it was demanded of Burton by the studio oh you have to have a love interest type thing oh yeah it guaranteed that well I, I don't know I can't no, tell no, you no, who, who said uh, and Kim Basinger doesn't help matters with her, uh, let's be honest terrible acting you know what's funny she played a femme fatale in LA Confidential yeah. a few years later she got the Oscar oh, and I don't know how yeah. she got the Oscar yeah I, to be honest, I haven't seen her role. much, um, but in this, she's she's rubbish. Yeah, it's very it's unconvincing. Not good. Not good. Um, Jerry I Hall's needed... better, and Jerry Hall's in a much smaller role as that yeah. haunted sort of girlfriend of Jack Palance. But what they should have done is, if you're going to put a, a love interest, make her the villain. You should have went with Poison Ivy, Catwoman, somebody else. Well, Jerry Hall was a much was much more of a femme fatale. Yeah, as well. she gets it from Jack. But you know what I'm saying, though? They should have had mm-hmm. uh, somebody who's built, dealing with their own personal demons. Yes. Because she didn't... She was too smug and nice yeah, as well, the character. No... You know, uh, maybe coupled with Bessinger's um, you know, style of acting. It, it was just a bad mix. Uh, let me ask you about Jack. So we've got Jack. Mm-hmm. Leave it to Jack Nicholson to be so popular. He always plays Jack in his exactly. movies. Exactly. <laughs> always do Jack. It's like an American sitcoms, you know, where they have, you know, a sitcom where it stars a guy who plays a version of himself, and he's just called his same name in the sitcom, you know, or yeah. even like you know Roseanne. It's you know Roseanne Barr and stuff. But yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you gotta love Jack. Yeah. But. So he is having okay. So you got Jack Palance is Grissom. Yes, he's like the head mob guy. Hard Grissom, Gotham. yeah. Well, that's snarly uh, voice. He, yeah, he is cheat. His girlfriend Jerry Hall is cheating with Jack. Yes. So Grissom sets him up mm-hmm. to get him. You know, so he sets him up in an ambush. The police catch with that Jack card and stuff. Yeah. So Jack. Falls in the vat. Uh, was it wasn't acid. I thought it was acid. It, it was, was like, like toxic waste chemicals. Okay. Because uh, it was like acid to be a whole different film. <laughs> he wouldn't be in it. Now, how does he get the fucking grin? Because whenever he, uh, before he falls into it, there is like um, 
Batman sort of like I think he throws one of those really like fucking arrow type bat arrow type things and a, bannering? A, yeah a pat or a, a, what am I talking about um, yes a pipe sort of um, goes off and it sprays him that's where he gets his his grin marks basically he gets basically scarred before he falls into the vat of toxic waste oh so it must you know have, you know in that fight it scene, must it must have cut it must have cut his nerves or something yes yes enough and in, in the fight scene there is a pipe burst uh, which contains i thought that was glass no no it was it, from it, the it, thermometer it like uh, yeah th- yeah the th- thermometer it's um no no it, it's from some sort of chemical was it a thermometer okay. Because yeah, yeah well then he throws it and the th- and the glass breaks in the thermometer. Well, then it was the mercury from the thermometer that did it. Maybe that's what it was. Yeah, and then the glass cut the nerves. Or yes, something. possibly the glass as well. Yeah. All right. Well, I know he's covering his face, and you can see a little bit of it when he reveals it a bit. Yeah, but it was actually what turns his skin, his face white, is whenever he actually falls into the big vat of toxic waste. So that's Chemical the, the waste. Michael- that's the Michael Jackson plant. <laughs> yes, exactly. We know we're all waiting to say that one. Yep. We're all just waiting. <laughs> so his evil plan now is to make everybody look like him, but they'll die after they become him. It's uh, yeah. Well, it so, sort of shows his sort of heart deranged and insane he is. Yeah, then that's fine. But here's what I don't get about the plan. People put on the makeup and they start laughing. And it makes them start giggling mm-hmm. and they pretty much giggle themselves to death. Mm-hmm. Okay? So it gives me, you know, new meaning to the word term, you know, die laughing. <laughs> yes. But how does he get them to have that grin? I don't know, but it is sort of explained away um, whenever they are discussing him. Um, I believe it's either the police or Vicky Vale and Knox. And they're saying that he had some sort of, it might even be Batman himself, Bruce Wayne. It said that he had some sort of like degree in chemical sort of chemistry, basically. He, he, he was a sort of master chemist. It's like a one-line fix. Oh, okay. So. Later on, where, where they are discussing him. I can't remember exactly who, but it's basically said that he has like this, you know, degree or something similar in chemistry. Now, we talked about how I at least felt, and I think you agreed there, I have short-term memory here, mm-hmm. that the soundtrack with uh, Prince doesn't work because it's too zany. Mm-hmm. And what was work for the film, it's a dark film. Mm-hmm. It'll try, and, and one of the, I don't think people really caught it, that he pretty much disfigures Jerry Hall, Grissom's girlfriend. Oh, he does, definitely, yeah. Because he... To make him in her image? Ba- he's, he's a very vain image. character. You see this before he becomes scarred. Yes, and if and he will not be around people that look prettier than him. No, no, I think it was more that um, he was basically trying to mold her in his own image. It's pure narcissism. You know what I mean? Um, I don't. I think no. I think he's just vain. He goes because if she, if I have to look like this, she can't look like that. Well, it's both. I mean, it's narcissism. You know, whichever way, whether your way or my way. But okay, yeah. So. Yeah, but for, for me it was more. I think. I mean, obviously it's not. A, it's not actually explicitly stated, so it could be wrong. But I always felt that it was more. He was trying to mold her in his own image, like he was doing with the other people. You know, like the news reporters and the people with the combinations of the toilet reach. By the way, I love the touch um, that I only properly noticed when rewatching it here for the podcast, where um, you see after he's you know poisoned all the toilet reach, 
later on during the news reports they're all unshaven and their hairs aren't washed and they're not wearing makeup. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a brilliant touch. Do you know what that reminded me of? You know, to use them. Because during the during the the sequences, you you they had different takes on the uh, different scenes with the reporters. Yes, and then each scene they were getting uglier and uglier because they weren't wearing makeup. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, and like it reminded me, stuff. it reminded me so much of RoboCop. Yeah, you know the reporters in RoboCop. No, that didn't happen. But the 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 the, the kind of the, it's the, the same type of news reports it. and stuff. It just it just very yeah, there's something about it that uh, RoboCop kind of came into mm-hmm. came into my mind on that one. Well, there was always those news reports that popped up in RoboCop, you know, um, you know, and, and those, you know, the fake ads and all in RoboCop, which I love. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, which I enjoyed. Now let's talk about the man himself, Batman, mm-hmm. Michael Keaton. Brilliant. I'll tell you right now, Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson. And you got good character actors. I'm not going to diss Michael Go, or certainly not going to diss Michael, Michael. Uh, sorry, uh, Pat Hingle. Can I just come but, back to Pat Hingle briefly? I did get it. I was sort of. I looked it up there quickly on my laptop as we were recording. I did get it mixed up. I knew that he was in an iconic series that I loved, and it was actually an episode of the original Twilight Zone. That's what I was thinking of. And yes, indeed, oh, okay. he was an American character actor and not a British one. So yeah, I was just getting. I got a bit mixed up there. That's cool. No, that's all right. Because these, these bring just up like Twilight Zone. So, <laughs> as long as you bring up Twilight Zone. Oh, I love Twilight Zone. I'm a huge fan. The original Black so, and White series. Well, all actors without age started on the Twilight Zone. Yep, Dennis Hopper and all. Charles Bronson. Yeah. But Keaton. Keaton, Jack Nicholson saved this film. Completely. Oh, yeah. These two performances, yeah. I think they handled Jack's a lot better. Mm-hmm. I think Jack, besides the party man dance in the museum, which was when he when he, when he he goes after Vicky Vale. I liked that. And I hated it. I hated it. I liked him and the speech he gives to her when yes. he sits down at the coffee table. But I don't like how he gets there, the point eight. It's just, it's silly. He's dancing and spray painting. It just. It, see, there's, there's sort of two sides to this, Joker. There's the sort of almost childish, silly Joker, which is sort of you see in this scene, and then there's the more cold-blooded, psychotic, which yeah, which I, I believe I, works much better actually. But I, I like them both. I think it was just too over the top, and I think it just because too more of a distraction. And but they do the, the sad thing is they do the same thing with Keaton. So you have the Dark Knight, and uh, I love the intro of him uh, when you know I'm Batman. And that whole intro, which, by the way, everybody who doesn't know this, I'm Batman, was not written in the script. That is actually improv by Keaton. Mm-hmm. So, the famous I'm Batman, which is used to this day, was actually coined by Michael Keaton himself, which I thought was really neat. It was supposed to be I am Knight. I am the Knight, mm-hmm. I believe. Keaton is, you know, for me, an iconic Batman because he's so different. And so quirky and, you know, weird and odd. I mean, Knox even says it, you know, at the party at the beginning. You know, in his place, he's talking about, you know, the rich people being so odd and stuff. Why are they so odd? You know, it's because they can afford to be. And he nails it. So he does. Yeah, he he does a nice job. And he doesn't doesn't go too far. He kind of brings out his zaniness. I think he's better than Nicholson. Nicholson's hamming it up, but hamming it up well. Whereas well, pl- with with play- Keaton, it's more it's a more restrained performance and a more thoughtful performance. It's funny you say that because yeah, playing the bad guy is easier. Yeah, everyone says that. Should look at Tommy they Jones go, in mean, Batman for or Tommy Lee Jones in Batman Forever. I mean, that's just completely over the top. You know, taking it to another level, hamminess. 
Well, that's what uh, Gary Oldman famously said. I do bad guy roles because it's the easiest role to yeah. do. You can do anything you want, and the director will say, cut, perfect. Yeah. As long as it's villainous. <laughs> they don't care. Yeah, there's not much subtlety there. You know, well, there can be, of course, but with the likes of these types of um, villains, like, you know, Nicholson's Joker and even Two-Face, as played by Tommy Lee Jones, there isn't really much depth there, you know? When As great as he, Nicholson is. You talked about how the Joker has two kind of characteristics. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of cool because you mentioned how Keaton's more reserved, yes. which he has to be. Um, and Knox kind of making fun of him on that, mm-hmm. on that point. But there's a scene where he's finally confronted in Vicky Vale's apartment by the Joker and his henchmen. Mm-hmm. And finally, Keaton finally has enough and he loses it. Yes, I love that. And he takes the fire poker and he smashes the art. Yeah. But part of me part of me sort of um conflicted. Was he letting on to lose it then to sort of trick the Joker? Um or what did he genuinely lose it in that scene? I don't know. I think he loses it. Mm, I, I'm torn. You know, I I thought it might have been part of a trick to sort of like almost for the Joker to turn on him as opposed to Vicky Veal. No, I Plus he had think... the he had the sort of the, the tray up up his sort of um basically his shirt. Yeah, so he, yeah, yeah. And you always do you know, they always do that in films mm-hmm. when the the, the 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 hero always puts something in front of his chest so when he gets shot he'll be okay. Yeah, no. But how come bad guys just don't shoot the fuckers in the I've head? I've always said that. I've <laughs> always shoot him in the fucking head. You know what I mean? Batman. Yeah. I mean, even with Batman wearing all this armor or any of these superheroes, it's like if I was a a basically a super villain, I would make sure I shot them in the head every time because they're wearing armor. It's obvious, you know. Now, to answer your question, did he deliberately do that? I'm going to say no. I'm going to say he was raged because he first is introduced by Jack in the front of City Hall, Gotham Hall, mm-hmm. whatever it's called, when jo- the Joker kills... Yeah, they're, they're dressed as mannequins and stuff. Yeah. Uh, no, mimes. Mimes, sorry, mimes, yeah. And he makes the comment, ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? And Michael Keaton, uh, Bruce Wayne goes, what did you just say? Mm-hmm. And he's stunned by it, and he just watches uh, Nicholson drive away. Because oh, he doesn't say it at he, that point? Yeah, he does. I don't think, I'm almost certain he doesn't. He does. He doesn't say it until later on, and then... No, um, no, 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 no. He does say it at that point, because that's where he realizes who this is. Jack Napier? Because he makes, he makes the comment, ever dance with the devil in pale moonlight, and he goes, what did you just say? And he just stares this, at him as this he is drives in, away. In the scene in the apartment, he says it. But he doesn't say it in the earlier scene. No, no, scene. no, no, no. He says it in the museum. He said it in the museum. When he assassinates with a little pen arrow, pen feather, whatever it was, the one dude who wanted to sign Oh, sorry, in the bill. museum, yeah. No, no, not in the museum. When you're introduced to Two-Faced, Bill Billy Williams at the time, mm-hmm. and you had all these characters, he walks up with the feather and the pen, and he stabs the guy in the throat. Right. I was almost certain and, he didn't say it at that point. All these people are dressed up as mimes yeah. to distract him. Right? And so he, and he makes a big speech. And he goes ever, and he makes the comment ever dance with the devil in pale moonlight, mm-hmm. and he's a, and Keaton stops us. Wait, what you say? I'll and he's stunned by what he just said yeah. because he's putting the pieces together mm-hmm. that this fucker killed his parents. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why his rage came into the Vicky Vale scene. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, I mean that's very possible. What about what about, what about the guy, the um, extra who plays the young Jack Napier? In the scene where you see um, Thomas Wayne and Martha Wayne being murdered, 
Fuck, he, he was fucking... That was creepy. Yeah, total, uh, <laughs> totally creepy looking like, you know, brilliant like, you know? It was, yeah, it was it was a nice... And the way it shot bit. as well in slow motion with him going, tell me, kid, you ever danced to the devil in the pale moonlight? That really effectively done. Brilliantly done. Yeah. <laughs> I like the, um, uh, the, ending, the whole ending sequence in general. Uh, I think the prey gets a little over the top. Uh, yeah, I, do I, I, have, I think the the film overall is much better in the first, you know, two acts. I think the final act let, does let it down a bit. I think you know even I remember loving it as a kid. You know, the final act and the stuff with, you know, the Joker with the balloons and stuff and poisoning everybody out there. You know, throwing the money to the citizens of Gotham and stuff. Uh, it's I mean I I love the cathedral. You know, the gothic sort of look of the cathedral and stuff. Uh, but what I liked about it, though, it's it's where it becomes a little more dark. And what I mean by that is Nick, uh, Jack, and Vicky Vale go to the top of this clock church tower, whatever yeah. it is, mm-hmm. cathedral. And Batman's got to run up these stairs, and he's got to fight these goons as he's doing yes. it. And it's he kills them pretty much is what he's doing. So this is where it shows his true vigilante justice. Because yeah. he would otherwise before this he was just you know tagging bad guys and. Mm-hmm bring him to the cops mm-hmm. so this shows what he really can do and he's bloody too himself yes he's taking a he's taking a beating mm-hmm. which i like to see he's not just superman he's taking a hit too. yeah he's human and he's very tired by the time he gets up to the top to fight uh jack which i do think is a little bit stupid with the the, the big gun he pulls out of his pants i like that i, I like some of it because it's it's again it goes back to the the conflicting personalities of the joker you know, whenever he, he pulls out the glasses and goes, hey, tell me something. You wouldn't have a guy with glasses, would you? You know, that's... I, I don't mind them going back to the old 50s comic. The, Caesar the Tomorrow. The wars. Um, I don't the mind them, and stuff. No, I, no, I don't mind them going back to... We talked about how this is like a noir mm-hmm. because that's when the comic book was created. That's mm-hmm. that's more nostalgic for me. But when you start bringing in the 60s comic, which is a complete different universe, mm-hmm. a completely different Batman, and that's with the gun and the glasses, I think that's stupid. They sort of got away with it, but they didn't, they didn't do, you know, they didn't um, do it too much, you know. They didn't, oh, they, wasn't they, they, with it. I think they did it with this scene and they did it with the museum. Yeah. Um, where they, what they, I did they, notice, there's a really risque um, sex joke in the finale toward, towards the very end. Um, when um, Vicky Vale is pretending to actually fancy, you know, the Joker now, and she's like kissing him and stuff, and she's going, oh, I love purple and the purple, and then she goes down to basically give him a blowjob, um, or so um, the Joker thinks, um, and then that's when Batman like punches him and goes, hey, tell me something, you know, taps him on the shoulder, and then he like turns the, the quote on him and says, hey, tell me something, you ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? You know, that's a very risky sex joke for what is ultimately a family film. Um, even though you know it was sort of you know, it, it's quite a dark take on the, on a family film. But yeah, it's quite, it's quite a risky sex joke. Oh, okay, I, I, I can't remember. I didn't catch it. Oh yeah, yeah. But I can. I know the scene when she's like kissing up his arm. Yeah, so stupid. Yeah, she basically um, gets down on him, or she pretends she's going down on him. <laughs> yeah, you know? it's Jack, man. It's Jack. <laughs> yeah, uh, I I do. Um, I like the ending, how he falls and, and he dies, and he's got that laughing box. Yeah, I love that um, by his side, and the cement's all broken around. It's him. like the final jokes. Um, you know, he got to have the final joke. Yeah, even in death. Uh, but I do like their their full circle uh, conflict when he when he put the pieces together when he says, "Ever dance with the devil on pale moonlight?" Yeah, 
he, um, J- uh, Jack keeps telling him, you made me, you made me, mm-hmm. you made me. And he goes, no, 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 you made me first. Yeah. Because you killed my parents. Well, that's it. Um, the Joker and Batman are tough traditionally being two sides of the same coin. They're two freaks that dress up and go out at, go out at night and cause mischief. Yeah, yeah. I know, I like the ending. I liked it. I like. No, I, liked I mean, it's still like I it. like the. I just think that what came before was stronger. No, see, I I think the ending is more of the Dark Knight mm. ending, where the other stuff was still good, but it was peppered in too much of the silliness, I guess you could say. Mm. Uh, but that, but it, but no, no, there you go. Yeah. Listen, the Dark Knight is such a good film, guys. The Dark Knight. I Batman eighty nine. <laughs> Batman eighty nine. Batman 89, uh, obviously we got a sequel, and then we had a couple of really bad films. I think the then... sequel's better. Well, oh, the one Penguin? Yes, and Catwoman, uh, and maybe, Max maybe Shrek we'll is played by Christopher Walken. That's right. I you know I haven't seen that since I saw it in the theater. I think we should do it in the podcast. Uh, maybe we should revisit it before we hit the Batman. Yeah. Maybe we will. That way we do like three Batman At some films. point, yeah. Yeah, we should do that. Yeah. Just, cause we don't, just because it's Keaton and, and Burton. Mm-hmm. Uh, but listen, yeah, it's Keaton. This is a Keaton Nicholson film. It, if these two completely save it, uh, sadly Tim Burton doesn't believe in it. He says the film is okay. It's it's got some good parts. He wasn't a fan because I know there was a lot of studio involvement. Yes, interference. Uh, this was his first real, real big, big, big budget. Uh, but he's worked with Warner Brothers before, so he should, he should have known how it worked. He fails. It was a film that pretty much was was very uh what was the term he used it i'm not was, sure uh it was more of a cultural phenomenon yes yeah than a good movie i would agree with him what... on that but because you know it was a it was huge at the time and but i think um eventually what made burton leave the franchise stroke arguably get sacked was because that he got into a lot of um hot bother over the darkness of the sequel batman returns because with um, the likes of um, the sponsors and the advertisers like McDonald's and stuff, they were unhappy at putting like these basically horror characters like the Penguin and stuff um, on basically their meals and lunch boxes. So the studio were up in arms. <laughs> yeah, the Penguin is creepy. Yeah, the Penguin. Well, even 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 um, Christopher Walken's well, well, white and, hair and, and Catwoman's highly sexualized as well. You know, she yeah, basically she'll fight for look good. Yeah, yeah. You know, with the kinky leather gear and the whip. You know, I haven't I haven't watched that in years. I gotta check it it's out. It's brilliant. But uh, I think we both agree uh, the set design, um, casting really works. Mm-hmm. We both I, I mean, well, you like Knox. I don't get why he was in this. He's all right. I, I mean, Vicky, I don't think he's brilliant, but I think he, he does a decent job. Vicky Vales and Knox should have been written out of this. Don't listen to Trevor. <laughs> uh, they're both they're just both they're both bad in it. Actor wise as well. They should have concentrated more because you know what? We never really got more of Batman's bat, like Alfred's. I would like to have seen Alfred and Batman's more interaction. Yeah, their relationship. Their relationship. I would like to have seen more of how they get the weapons, mm-hmm. more about the Batcave. Write them all out and just focus it on the lives of Jack and the life of Bruce yeah. Wayne. Vicky Vale's inclusion was basically a studio note saying we need a love interest. Yeah, pretty much, and they and I know Tim Burton wanted her to die at the end. That would have that would have worked. Jack. That would have been better, and it would have set up because the sequel better as well for Bruce exactly. Wayne and, and Batman. A, it, and if she's a femme fatale, then yeah, that's a perfect way for a femme fatale to go. Definitely. So, but we didn't get that. Mm-hmm. 
Either way, it's a fucking great film. Mm -hmm. That's a wrap on this one, guys. Uh, we are going to work our way up to the new The Batman yep. coming up real soon here. We have a new logo Actually, and advertisement coming up as well, haven't we? Yeah, we're just changing things up. We always change it every week. So what the hell? Mm -hmm. um, and again, we're just we're quietly talking uh, podcasters and testing people out to see um, how they fit. And uh, we'll get another couple voices on here. Uh, but in the meantime, you're stuck with us two idiots. Yep. <laughs> Whether and, you like it or and, not. <laughs> yeah, so fuck off if you don't like it. <laughs> We're just joking. But keep don't. downloading us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, keep downloading us and listen. <laughs> We're joking. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's... Uh, <laughs> uh, but listen, guys, thank you so much for all the downloads and likes. We do appreciate it. Certainly uh, follow us on um, Citizen Frame Understore Podcast on Instagram and, of course, on Facebook. Uh, I just want to say thanks again. Have a good one. Adios, amigos. And we will talk to you guys all later.